0: This is Let's Talk About from Style Canada. And let me tell you, we're talking. Let's face it, we talk a lot. (laughs) We talk about things we love, hot topics, and anything in between. But what about the things we don't talk about? What about the things we want to know, but don't know how to ask? Don't worry, we've got you covered. Let's expand our horizons. Let's talk about it. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Season 2 of Let's Talk About. Fittingly, we are kicking off this season on Valentine's Day with a series on dating, brought to you by our friends at Smithery. Have you heard of Smithery yet? If not, listen up. I've spent over a decade in the fashion industry, and rarely do you hear of a company telling women they should wear what looks good on their body type, not just because it walked down the runway. Enter Smithery. Smithery was founded by businesswoman and mom, Mavis Huntley. Her and her team curate clothes to flatter the shape of all women. To learn more about them, head to smitherystyle.com. Okay, let's get this season started. Let's talk about dating with John Berger. John is an award-winning magazine writer, a contributor to Fortune, and now dating expert and the author of Datanomics, How Dating Became a Lopsided Numbers Game, and this, his second book, Make Your Move, The New Science of Dating. His work also appeared in New York Magazine, Time, The New York Post, and The Washington Post. He has been a guest on ABC's Good Morning America, Fox News, CNN, and CNBC, among many other podcasts, many of which I've listened to him on. (laughs) John is a Brown University graduate and is currently living in upstate New York. Make Your Move is a book that offers women bold new strategies for finding the one. Backed with research, it shows that women can win at romance by making the first move with men of their choice. It also talks about meeting people in person, rather than resorting to the dating apps. John, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Hi, Elise, and hello, Canada.
0: Hello, <laughs> hello, back <laughs> from Canada, John. Well, we are definitely a different world that we're talking about here, you know, during COVID times in Canada, we just got out of a lockdown. So perfect timing to start the conversation about dating and getting out there again. And really excited to have you. I first uh, came across you with Datanomics and love how you had that conversation, you know, looking at the data side of of dating. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about how datanomics came to be, because I know that wasn't your background. Dating is not, wasn't your forte to begin with.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It's always the first question I get, basically, how the heck did a fortune magazine writer who used to write about really, really boring stuff like oil and gas and mutual funds, you know, like how the heck did I ever end up writing a book about dating? And Honestly, the answer has a lot to do with the the editorial staff at Fortune Magazine, which was more women than men. And it was one of those things where I couldn't help but notice that all the men were either married like myself or involved in long-term relationships. Whereas the women, who I think I can safely say had more going for them (laughs) dating-wise, they were disproportionately single. And the ones I knew well were very unhappily single. And this wasn't just a workplace thing. I mean, this, you know, my my circle of friends, my wife's circle of friends, it was something I kept seeing over and over again, where that men seemed to have a whole lot easier time with dating than women, even though the women were fabulous and the men less fabulous. Less <laughs> <And> so. <laughs> I, yeah, less so. But basically, I, I was, I had this long-term fascination why dating was so much harder for women than men. I, I thought that there was something unique about these cosmopolitan cities like New York or Toronto or LA or London these cities that there's something about the job markets that was attracting disproportionate numbers of women and that's why guys seemed to you know have this plethora of options mm-hmm. whereas women did not but when i dug into the the census data i discovered i was wrong you know for the past 20, 30 years in the U S and it's really the same in Canada and other Western countries as well. We've had about one third more women than men graduate from college in the U S. And actually, if you look at uh, current college enrollment in the U S, this freshman class will graduate with 50% more women than men.
0: Wow. So th-
1: three women for every two men. And If you look at the state by state numbers, the the gender imbalance among college grads is more lopsided in West Virginia than it is in New York City. So so this was not like a a big city phenomenon. This was kind of an everywhere thing. Mm -hmm. And my conclusion, with datanomics was that the rise of the hookup culture and the decline in marriage rates among the college educated had nothing or very little to do with porn or Facebook or anything else. It was largely to do with these uneven gender ratios, these uneven sex ratios. And the science showed that when men are in oversupply, the dating culture is more monogamous. But when women are in oversupply, the dating culture is less monogamous, looser, women are more likely to be treated as sex objects, which is really what we've seen over the past, you know, 10, 20 years. There were lots of women who were kind of thrilled to hear that their dating woes were not their fault. And finally, they had some kind of a retort that they could offer to their moms when mom said, why are you still single? You know, you must be doing something wrong. And so they were happy that they had something which they could use to explain. But at the same time, they were like, okay, I get it. Thank you. Now just tell me what to do.
0: Well, I think you're, it's funny that you mention. um, you know, when people are like, aha, that's the reason why I definitely had that same reaction in, 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 you know, reading through datanomics, I'm like, oh, okay. It's not, you know, that validation that it's not your fault. This is, this is why this is the why, right. Um, but in make your move, I think you do just that you do give the solutions. And then I think one of the, the kind of final chapters of the book is let's say you've made your move you've failed the guy I thought this to be I hadn't seen this really talked about much before but this idea of the the female proposing right and when I say talked about I mean like it's not it's not something widely spread and you talk about that in the book as well and I, I was reading your book and my boyfriend was there and I was asking him like what would you think if I proposed to you and he's like he <laughs> thought that would be a great idea probably because he doesn't have to so, so
1: did you propose to him on the spot? I did
0: not propose right then and there. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think very, you know. That, very would, that would have
1: been a really good story. that you could Right? Have okay, well, day. I'll keep yes. you
0: posted if I, if okay. I go that route. Right. But I think the idea of, okay, yeah, like, why are we waiting as, as women for that proposal if it's something that, uh, you know, that we want? And I also think, you know, your argument of you'll find out right away one way or another if this person is not kind of willing to to spend their life with you, it makes so, it so, a little easier.
1: So before we talk about the proposals, can I kind of yeah. take a little bit of a step back and just talk yeah. in general about women making the first move and why yes. I view it as advantageous? Just for starters, like I'm not telling anybody to do something that's going to make them miserable. Mm-hmm. So... If you're an introvert or a shy person, and the idea of asking a guy out on a date just gives you shivers, like, don't do it. Like, I'm not, again, I'm not about telling people to do things that are going to make them miserable, unhappy, etc. The goal of the book is to identify strategies that are advantageous, and it's kind of up to you whether you want to, not you personally, but it's up to the readers whether you want to pursue these things. the most of the dating advice that's been doled out in popular dating books over the past 20, 30 years, it boils down to a very complicated version of playing hard to get. It started with, with the rules books. You know, I think there was the original, the rules, and then there are a bunch of sequels. And then there are a million copycats, like ignore the guy, get the guy. And right. um, why women love bi- why men love bitches and and these all, all these books that basically boil down to a very complicated version of playing hard to get, and I think in one of the rules books, the authors Fine and Schneider, they say, um, mostly paraphrasing, although I think this is pretty close. I think they have a line in there that says, "Don't seem so interested. Treat him like like a guy that you don't like." Now, I wasn't dating. 80 years ago. Maybe this was really a successful strategy in 1930 (laughs) or four. I I, 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 I don't know. Like, like maybe this worked way back when. And so I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say it never worked. But I, I think it's useful to think about how that kind of advice plays out in a post me too world. Because I'm not going to say that us guys have learned all the lessons of me too as quickly as we should. But I think most of us at this point have realized that if you're talking to a woman at a party, or maybe she's a coworker and she seems disinterested and doesn't want to talk to you anymore. The correct response is not to assume she's playing hard to get. Correct. The, 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 the right. correct response yeah. is to leave her is to leave her alone. Yeah. And the the sort of the play hard to get strategies, personally, I don't think they ever worked all that well, because I always believed that men like women who like them, even pre me too, I I would have made a similar argument. But especially nowadays, there's such an advantage for women to make the first move with men to indicate to men that you like them just because the guys aren't going to do what the conventional dating advice for women believes they're going to do. And some men will, I'm not, you know, obviously I'm not generalizing about everybody. I, I just think, you know, and I've talked to matchmakers and dating coaches about this. So, so this is dating coach, Francesca Hoagie, who I interviewed for make your move. And here's what she told me on this subject. She said that if a woman comes across as indifferent, men will take that as a sign that she's not interested and will move on. It's getting to a point that if the woman doesn't make the first move, the men are not going to. Obviously, it's a, that's a little bit of an exaggeration. It's not going to apply to all situations, but I think it's worth keeping in mind. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I think it's important to keep in mind is that you know fine and schneider the authors of the rules books and i think everybody all of the the play hard to get crowd they seem to believe that these gender roles are rooted in biology that there's something about human biology that hardwires men to chase and to be hyper aggressive and hardwires women to be nothing more than passive filters of male advances and you know i I got curious about, about this, you know, was like, is this, is this true? Where did this idea come from? It turns out that, that, that a lot of these ideas originate with a evolutionary biologist named Robert Trivers. And to be fair, a lot of people in this field view Trivers as kind of the, the most influential evolutionary biologist of his, of his generation. The problem is, like, to give you a sense of the kind of person we're talking about, here's what Trivers had to say when it was reported that that he had been accepting research funding from Jeffrey Epstein. Quote, by the time they're 14 or 15, they're like grown women were 60 years ago. So I don't see these acts as so heinous. This is the the, the scientist who the play hard to get crowd is relying on. And if, he, and if you look at, at Trevor's actual research, um, one of the things he relied upon was a study uh, looking at the mating behavior of fruit flies. Now we, we can talk about how absurd it is that we're going to like apply fruit fly mating behavior <laughs> to human beings, uh-huh. but, but let's, let, let's just like put that one ignore aside that, for or, a second. Okay, yeah. let's, let's ignore that one for a second. <laughs> A lot of his ideas and and theories were based on a a fruit fly study, which found that that the male fruit flies always were the initiators of sexual activity and and the females were always passive filters of like the male advances. But there's a there was a biologist at UCLA, a woman named Patricia Gawadi, who. Like her own research with other species didn't really back this up. And specifically, she had been studying the behavior of Eastern bluebirds. And what she was finding is that while Bluebirds were thought to to be monogamous. Um, the female bluebirds were actually flying away at night to to male with to mate with other males. I think
0: I heard. I think I might have heard this through you actually. This yeah, yes, yeah, okay. it was, it yeah.
1: was, it was in, yeah, it's in the book. Um, yeah. And when she published her research, the the Robert Trivers acolytes said, "Oh, the bluebirds in your study must have been raped." So she she got fed up and she decided to redo the exact, you know, fruit fly study that Trivers had, had based all of his grandiose theories on. She did it exactly as the original study was done. She videotaped. You know, all the fruit fly behaviors. And lo and behold, the female fruit flies moved towards the male fruit flies just as often as the males did to the females. The entire original fruit fly experiment was junk science. These academics like David Buss and other, other. Trevor's acolytes have been basing their ideas on junk science. And unfortunately a lot of the dating advice that's kind of piggybacked off of it has also been based on junk science. So my My argument in make your move is that don't listen to your friends when they when they tell you that the guy has to make the first move guys don't like it when when women are assertive because I'll tell you like every time I'm out in the lecture circuit, I always use that line men like women who like them mm-hmm. and the men in the audience are all nodding in unison, and the women in the audience are looking at me like I'm insane um, <laughs> Yeah, but, but, but it's just true. I mean, men like women who like them, women who are assertive, just have this massive built in advantage over other women who, who wait and wait and wait for men to ask pursue them out.
0: Them or, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and
1: the, the other obvious problem, and I think every woman knows this, is the guys are oblivious. Um, yes, like, fair. There's a whole nother problem. Bit of research I talk about and make your move, which shows the flirting doesn't work. Two thirds of flirting, whether it's by men or women, is completely lost on the intended target. So this notion that, well, you know, I did a shoe dangle or a hair flip or I pulled some lint off of his overcoat—exactly, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah—he yeah. Yeah. just thinks you're being nice, or yeah. or <laughs> or he has no idea what's going on. Um, For most singles, men or women, they have no idea when they're being flirted with.
0: Let's take a break to hear from our partner. As I'm sure you've gotten from our conversation so far today, dating is tough, but I also know when I look good, I feel good. Let Smithery help you put your best fashion foot forward. Whether it's your next date night or dinner with the girls, head to smitherystyle.com to see what silhouettes flatter you. Best of all, they use real women as models, so you will actually have an idea of what you'll look like in the clothes. Now let's get back to hearing how we can make our move. And I'd kind of like to start with the whole idea of dating apps. I know that you're maybe a fan yeah. of, of one one of them. Anyway, it sounds like from the books, I, but I'd like to hear your take overall on it.
1: I mean, my take overall is really negative. So I'm going to start with a story. So okay. I, I was on a... Uh, on a podcast several months ago, a kind of an author, a male author who turned out he was divorced and just had got back into dating after like 25 years of marriage. And he was telling me about this first date and he showed up at the coffee shop for the first date and he discovered that his first date knew all about him. She had Googled him to death, checked out his LinkedIn, you know, basically, had researched him rather completely before the first date, and to me, you know, he was complaining about this to me, saying like how weird and creepy it was. I'm guessing you don't think this is remotely weird and creepy. That this no. is this is a safety issue. That that every woman who is involved in online dating, or not every woman, I, 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 an overwhelming majority yeah, And, and, yeah. and, a, and like a, a middle-aged guy who's just getting back into dating isn't fully aware of the safety concerns that women have when it comes to dating apps. Um, there was a Pew research survey which showed that a majority of young women consider, consider online dating to be unsafe. One in five had been threatened with physical violence um, while using wow. dating apps. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there's kind of a fear of missing out problem with dating apps where I've yet to meet a woman who said to me, oh, I love online dating so much. The men are so nice and kind and honest and, <laughs> and it's so easy to find true love. And, and basically every time I, I do this shtick, people start laughing like
0: right. as you did, you know, yeah.
1: 10 seconds into it because it's absurd, right?
0: Right. Yeah. Yes. Yep. No, yeah, I totally mean, agree. I mean, absolutely agree. And that the time commitment too, which I know you talk about in the book, is, well, it, it, is it, like it, a full time. It's, fun,
1: it, it's funny. Like in the book, I, I found a there was a like a Wall Street analyst report which found that that young singles were spending 10 hours a week on dating apps. But There was a more recent survey that came out after Make Your Move was published, which found that the youngest, like the 20-something singles, are now spending 20 hours a week on dating apps. And that doesn't even include time spent on actual dates. Right. So it's this huge time suck, which, you know, most people don't enjoy. Yeah. And for me, like the, the safety concern... It's kind of twofold. I mean, one, obviously, you want to know if Robert, the handsome fund manager, is actually Billy Bob, the married ex-con, right? Like like you, you want to know that. But at the same time, I don't think singles appreciate how the anxiety associated with not knowing who was going to walk in through the door of the sushi bar. Your attitude entering the first date can, can affect the relationship outcome or the dating outcome. There was a woman I interviewed for the book. She told me that after so many kind of experiences of men lying to her on first dates, that, that she started to approach online dating at first dates, like she would basically interrogate them and try to f- poke all the holes in their stories and figure out where they're lying. Mm-hmm. I can um, see that. Yeah. Yeah. But, but obviously that's not going to lead to a lot of no, second dates because not gonna work if you, yeah. if you if you enter the first date with so much skepticism and anxiety you are not gonna fall in love never mind fallen like because mm-hmm. it's like you're going to a used car lot trying to figure out you know what's wrong with the 2017 Honda that you're looking mm-hmm. at well
0: and the the interesting thing is is like for those that have been on dating apps for a while and I saw it in myself it's like when you do meet a good person you are kind of still running through that behavior that right. you've had from this, that was ingrained in you from these dating apps. Like, okay, where is the hole? Where do I find what's wrong with right. this person? So it's creating this, maybe even after you're, you know, through the, the search of the dating app still creating this mindset of things. Yeah. And,
1: and again, I'm going to go back to this idea that these stories of how we meet are really important um, and there's research showing this that the stories of how we meet can actually affect relationship outcomes. And if you have a cute story about meeting at a friend's wedding or in college or in a running group or something like that, these stories of how we meet become really important. If the way you met is by sorting through 20 profiles on an app and finding the ones that seem the least objectionable, that's not going to lead to. You not know, a great
0: story. Yeah, not a Yeah, great it's story. not a great
1: story, and it doesn't lead to kind of like creating a bond. Human beings evolved as social animals, and the way we connect with each other is through shared experience. So, with your your best friend, I'm guessing she could screw up a lot, right? Like, it's going to take a lot for her, a lot of like bad jokes, weird things for her to say, Mm -hmm. not returning your phone calls. It would take a lot for her to write her out of your life. Right. Mm -hmm. Because you have this, this, this base with her of shared experience. But if it's somebody you met on Bumble BFF, who you don't really know, and she texts you something weird, it's like much easier to sort of just pull the plug because you have no investment in the, in the relationship. And I think this is true, whether it's a romantic relationship or a platonic relationship, these connections we make online are far less durable because honestly, we don't actually know the person.
0: Can I ask the question that I don't recall kind of dove into in the book? So I don't know if you'll know the answer, or if I missed it in the book, but is there a period of time where if you do meet someone online, like call it a year, two years, where you do have that shared history, where that no longer applies? Like, are we talking like three months into the relationship? What is that kind
1: of So here's the problem, and it's the ultimate catch-22. There's a study I I cite in the book that shows that for people who meet online, if you immediately move from meeting online to kind of in-person, it can kind of offset this problem that we, right. we've just talked about. Yeah. But it's the catch 22 because I don't know many women. Again, I, I know there are some, and I'm, I'm always careful about generalizing, but most of the women I interviewed and most of the women I know who are single don't want to move immediately. Like on, on Monday, they meet a guy in an app and on Tuesday, they have a date. Mm-hmm. They want to do a little more research chat with him, see what he's like. And the problem is that the more days, weeks, and months that go by between the initial contact and when you meet in person, the more likely it is that he or she won't live up to expectations.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I guess then the same could be true if I was, I was thinking some examples as I was reading it. So if you maybe work with someone who works in a different office and you've never actually met, but you've kind of had a flirtation or a friend was going to set you up and you've, you've had that conversations, but never met in person. I guess that maybe it does away a little because you know their background. So maybe that doesn't apply, but I was curious. if
1: Yeah. So for me, it's, yes, you know, their background a little bit, but even more important, there's accountability. Right, like right. if um right. if you have a connection, like somebody else who you work with, uh, like a work friend who knows both mm-hmm. of you, if he behaves terribly on the first date, there are going to be consequences, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, whereas a first date with a complete stranger who behaves terribly, there are no consequences. And I and I always compare this to Twitter, and I'm and this is one of the many reasons why I'm off Twitter. If I'm at a party, I can get into it like a like like with, with political discussions on Twitter, I would say things to people on Twitter and then using words and language that I would never say to somebody who was like in my physical presence. Like even if mm-hmm. I didn't know them, if they were, I was at a party and they were a friend of a friend. Right. And I, I kind of feel like the same if you're dealing with them in the real world, there is accountability if you act yeah. rudely, you know, whether it's Twitter or Tinder. There is no accountability when you're talking to complete strangers and particularly for, for the youngest singles, they've never dated. or a lot of them have never dated in the real world. And they don't realize how unusual it is. Like I'm 52 back when I was way back in the Pleistocene era when I was, when I was single um, the idea of a blind date with a complete stranger was rare. I mean, it happened, but it was rare.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Nowadays, every online, every dating app first date is a blind date with a complete stranger.
0: Right. So you're
1: starting from zero. And to me, it's no surprise then that when you're starting from zero, that the relationships don't last as long. And there there was a study out of Stanford University several years ago it's funny, the, the, the study, the professor claimed that breakup rates are not much influenced by how couples meet. But if you dig into the appendix in his study, this is what he shows. He says that the one-year breakup rate for people who meet um, on dating apps is 16%. Meet through friends or family, it's 9%. Meet as neighbors, it's 8%. Meet as co-workers or in college, it's 6%. And meet in church, it's 1%. And by church, I think he just means houses of worship, not like yeah. specifically Christian yeah. Yeah. I, 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 church. I think he, he he means houses of worship. Religion
0: of, generally. Yeah. yeah.
1: And so you can see, at least if you've been working with somebody for six months, you're not starting from zero. Mm-hmm. You, you've seen how he or she deals with stressful situations. Um, you have a sense of whether your values and your senses of humor are compatible. Like before the first date, you already have a, some sense of whether you're compatible. Mm -hmm. And with these online first dates, that's not true. And I'm always shocked at how many people tell me they went out on on an online first date without even speaking to the person over the phone.
0: there's
1: There's so much you can learn about somebody just from the sound of their voice, the inflection of their voice, Yet people don't take advantage of that. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. it, it confuses I know,
0: me. Yeah, certain. I guess dating in, in COVID maybe will normalize <clears throat> a little bit, like video dates and things like that, as you help lead through things. But um, I so I know that you have the the offline dating challenge. So the first step in that is kind of you know delete those apps. But then you also mentioned making a list of people you know that you maybe that are single that you maybe have liked in the past and kind of reaching out there. Um, Which I thought was a a great next step. And you mentioned, so what are some other, you mentioned work as a possible place. And I know there's some complications in the book that you talked about there. Yeah. So so the
1: workplace is definitely my favorite place to meet somebody because you've seen them at their best and their worst. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, working somebody with somebody 40 hours a week or more, you really have a pretty clear sense of their personality and their character. I mean, somebody who is, Cruel or selfish in the workplace is going to be cruel and selfish in a relationship. Right. Somebody who helps out others without having to in the workplace and is empathetic and sympathetic to others is going to behave that way. In a relationship, so that that's why I like the the workplace because it's it's kind of a value test. You you, you mm-hmm. see what people are like, but kind of circling back, backing up a little bit to to the first part of your question. Yeah, you know, I, I gave a talk. After the book came out, it was actually a Zoom talk um, at Rollins College in Florida. And uh, Rollins has a kind of a, a life launch class like a, that, that they offer to graduating seniors. And once I learned more about it, I actually think all colleges should offer this because it, it covers everything from... Career planning, finding your first job, personal finance to relationships. And I think this wow. would be useful for a lot of college <laughs> yeah, students. Some of us take but, that
0: now. <laughs> right.
1: Yeah, exactly. So I I, I thought this is great. A lot of the conversation dealt with online dating and my dislike of dating apps. And towards the end of the, the class, a young woman kind of raised her hand and said, okay, I get it. I agree with you that there are a lot of problems with online dating, but how the heck am I supposed to meet somebody if not through a dating app? Mm. So I said, okay, I'm going to put you guys into Brady Bunch mode on, on Zoom. There are like 40 kids in the class and, you know, 40 boxes. And I, I asked them the following question. How many of you have somebody you know and like from the real world whom you've ever wondered about dating? 40 kids in the class. 40 hands went up. Now, now I, I know that if you ask that question of 51-year-olds instead of 21-year-olds, you'll probably get a, a different answer. But I said, But I've asked some version of this question a lot to a lot of different groups. And I would say that at least two-thirds of singles already have somebody they know and like from the real world whom they've ever right. wondered about dating. So my retort is why the heck would you start from zero with a complete stranger if you've already identified somebody you know and like from the real world? So yeah. that's, that's, my, that's my take.
0: Well, and I love the premise of this book because it really is all about women taking charge, right? And like right. taking the first step. And you know, we leave it up to, I don't wanna say this isn't true of everyone, but you, know, you think, oh, will he pick me? But in reality, to your point is let's make that list of who we have and do that outreach. And, you know, you give some really great advice in the book. It could be very simple as I like you. Do you want to go for a drink with me? Right. But I think we make it more complicated sometimes and maybe it needs to be. But I love the idea of work. And I love the idea, too, that you talk about of, of, you know, whether what you're seeing there is maybe just someone that you've liked, but even revisiting someone that maybe you dated when you were in your, you know, late teens or something like that and it didn't work out. Can you tell us a little bit about that as well?
1: So, yes, the, the, you're referencing the chapter on rekind- what I call rekindlers. I, I'm not talking about people who broke up on a Monday and got back together on Sunday. That's that's not what I'm talking <laughs> There's about. There's not a lot um, of
0: personal growth that can happen in the five days. Right. Of life,
1: right. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, so I'm not talking about backsliders. I'm talking about that. Basically, their studies show that the couples who get back together after having broken up, the more time that passes in between when the relationship ended, and when it's rekindled, the more likely it is that the new relationship is to succeed. And again, this doesn't surprise me, because it gets back to my fundamental belief that there's a value in dating people you actually know. Yeah. Um, And who do you know better than somebody who you had a relationship with? Right. And as we grow as people, some of the things that maybe really bugged you about her when you were 24 seem wholly unimportant you know <laughs> when you're when you're 44 um, right and and I think and this isn't just about romantic relationships I think this is about like family this is a human this is human growth and and this is why I, you know these kind of rekindled relationships I think, do well do well interesting Um,
0: yeah I thought that was interesting well and in some ways like a few of the things you just said there is like clear and direct statement guys like women who like them those kind of like simple principles can make dating a lot easier right and there's I think so many great nuggets of them in this book I'm a big big fan is there a book number three that we should be looking out for
1: There, there is not right now. I I mean, there could be a book number three, but I think I'm all dated or or dating booked out at (laughs) at this, at this point.
0: And you know what I was thinking as you're talking, there's so much that we didn't cover. Um, But I don't want to give the whole book away. And I say so much. I'm I'm thinking of a few things. I don't want to give the whole book away because I definitely think this is a great read for someone that, you know, is struggling with the online dating apps, because I think it's safe to say COVID, you know, kept us all home, especially here in Canada. We were in and out of lockdowns for the better part of two years. And so online dating was, you know, the way to, to connect with people. And now that we're kind of out of that, or at least out of the lockdown for the time being, now is the perfect time. to to grab a book like this and take it offline, right? And take it into the real world. So John, can you let everyone know where they can find more about you and find uh, more about the book?
1: I'm on Instagram at john underscore burger one. As I mentioned, I've been off of Twitter for a while, but you could go to my website, johnberger.com. You can find my author page on Facebook. My email address is on j- johnberger.com. And if you have questions about the book, I'm happy to answer them. Also, I've partnered with kind of a an author platform called bookyaya.com. Okay. So if you have a if you have a book club and you want to read Make Your Move or Datanomics, and you'd like me to do kind of an online Q&A, like a a Zoom Q&A with your book club, you can go to bookyaya.com and arrange that.
0: Oh, I love that. That's very cool. I hadn't heard of that. So that's awesome. I think I feel like you might get quite a few requests for that. (laughs)
1: I hope so. I
0: hope so. Yeah, I think so. Well, it was such a pleasure chatting today. Really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks, John. Okay. Have a good day. Bye, Lise. Bye. Thank you for tuning into this conversation. We will have a brand new one the first Monday of each month. If you were intrigued by anything in our conversation, we encourage you to talk about it. Tell a friend, post on social media, take action in your very own way. Subscribe to get the newest episode at your fingertips as soon as it drops. Until next time, check out Style Canada, a disruptor in the media for its community of inquisitive style seekers. You can find us at style.ca or on social media. Just like this podcast, Style Canada is not just about style. It's about living a lifestyle that leaves people open to evolution and opportunity. This episode was hosted by Elise Gasparino, produced and edited by Regina Johan, Music credit goes to Raspberry Music and it was brought to you by Smithery.